I want to take the time for those of you that are still in here. Um, we want to invite you to a special meeting if you feel called to the five-fold ministry. Pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet. Which one did I miss? Pastor, teacher, prophet, evangelist, and apostle. Thank you. That's what I missed twice, not once, twice. If you feel called to that, April 16th, immediately following the Sunday service, um, Pastor Dosik has invited you to be there. He wants to feed you and talk to you. Um, I'm going to be present with him, and we're going to be um, answering some questions you might have. Maybe what is your next step? What do you need to be doing? How am I going to approach this? If you have questions about that or you have not had a personal meeting with pastor already, um, we want to make sure that we make ourselves available to you. So we're going to be... Um, advertising that for a little bit. So April 16th, right after the service, if nothing else, you get free food. Hear me out. This isn't if you feel you have a gifting of teaching. This is if you believe you're in the fivefold ministry and you are called to equip the believers in the church, this meeting's for you. All right, so this is all we have left tonight. The rest of us are in small groups. That's all right. Uh, Dad says you preach to who's here and don't worry who's not, right? Amen. We're gonna preach, but first we're gonna pray. Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus and Lord, we just humble ourselves before you tonight. Father, I ask, Father, that those that are listening, Father, that you would open up their hearts and their minds to hear the word of God, Lord, that it would fall upon the soil of their heart, Father, and be planted be planted so that it can grow and bring forth fruit in their lives. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that as I speak the word that the Holy Spirit has laid upon my heart tonight, Father, that you would use me, Father, as I yield myself to you. Father, let these words go forth like a hammer and break up the hard places of the heart into small pieces. God, that they could be broken and made soft again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, we are continuing our series on sin. Um, Pastor was going to be with you, but I got a call about 5 o'clock, and he was vomiting over the toilet, so it looks like the 24-hour bug may have gotten him as well. So we're going to go ahead and preach on resisting sin and the worsening of it, okay? So for those of you that maybe were not here last week, I wanna do a little bit of review, and if you were here last week, it'll just just good to get it back on the same track. So sin was any thought or action that falls short or goes against what God wants. Sin in the Greek means that it was to miss the mark as if it was an archer, aiming an arrow at a target, and the center of your target would be the Lord's will. We also noted that it doesn't matter if you miss the mark by an inch, a foot, or a mile. You still miss the mark. It's not the measurement of how far we've missed. It's not the measurement or the gauge of how bad the sin was. It's that you sinned. And sin immediately separates man from a relationship with God and puts a divide between us, okay? So we're looking as Christians that we are not separated from God. We want to walk with him. We want to have him inside of us. It says that he, uh, he come that I might have life and have it more abundantly. So he is inside of me. But if I'm not living a life like Christ, how can he walk with me and be in me and move and have his being 
if there's sin in me and he has nothing to do with sin. He can't. He's not allowed. It's against his nature. So immediately, immediately when sin takes place, it is a separation. And that's what you feel when you long. You're like, something's not right. You've got this little, little, still small voice in you going, Nicole, come back home. Don't do that. Repent of that right there. Why? It's saying we're separated and I want to be with you. I want to lead and guide you. You're hearing me from afar, but you need to draw close once again to me. Repent, turn from your sin, ask for my help, and I'm right back with you. No condemnation. I don't have to walk around and wallow in it. I just got to get up and get moving with the Lord again. Amen. We learn that James 1.15 says that when a desire is conceived hmm, or acted upon, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. It's simple. When you have a desire or a thought in your mind and you act upon it, it is now conceived as a seed inside of your soul, your mind, and your heart, which is where the will of man lives. And it begins to grow inside of you. And it starts to begin to crave things. We talked about the pregnant woman who maybe at three months, you still can't tell she's pregnant, but all of a sudden, the longer that seed is incubated, the bigger and the more apparent the sin becomes. It's often like that in our life. When we give birth to a small thing and we ignore it, avoid it, just discount it, don't want to think about it because, oh, I, it was just a little thing. I only missed the mark by a centimeter. It's fine. That starts to grow inside of us. And then what's growing inside of us starts to have a craving of its own. And that craving begins to drive you and I to do what we don't want to do. It's not that we want to sin, but because we gave desire, we took our desires, gave birth to them, created a seed inside of our soul and didn't root it up, didn't deal with it. We avoided it. We ran from it. We ignored it. It began to be conceived and grow and bring forth fruit in our life. And the fruit that it's going to bring is separation from God. That's the whole ultimate plan of sin. We cannot ignore or avoid. So this brings us up to where we were last week. And we want to talk about how do we root up Seeds. Maybe we have given in to lustful desires. Maybe we have missed the mark. But even though we've missed the mark, we know it's there. We think we're trying harder. But we haven't dealt with the true sin or the seed that's in us. What do we need to do with what's there? The first thing is that we always need to repent. But let's look at the greatest example in the Bible, and that is Jesus himself. We're going to start in Matthew, the fourth chapter. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV, which is the New International Version. For those of you, if you have a King James Bible or an Amplified, you can follow along your Bible or the NIV will be on the screen and you can follow there. So here's what it says. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Couple things here. Let me give you some backstory. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist, baptized him. And when he did, a dove came and sat upon Jesus. Literally, they saw it in the spirit as he was baptized. He was immediately filled with the spirit, but the spirit now led him away to the wilderness where he's gonna fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights. And the end of the story tells us that the reason this occurred is because he was tempted by the enemy not by God, he was led there by the spirit, but he was tempted by the devil. Someone say that, tempted by the devil. God does not tempt man, hear me out. God does not bring sin and throw it in front of your face and say, well, let's just see how strong he is. That's not what God does. Now there are testings of God that have to do with situations in life through trials and tribulations, but they are not temptations. Somebody say it again. God does not tempt man. Okay, we got to get that straight because God is good and the tempter is evil. There is a tempter, but he is the evil one. Okay, and he comes to seek and destroy your faith and your family. He's not just after you falling into sin. He's after you and everything that is connected to you. He's come to wage war. And if you think it's just about one sin, it's not. It's about the birth of sin that he can have multiples, triplets, quadruplets, sextuplets. I don't even know any more of them. Quadruple, I don't even know how many more there are. Quintuplets, isn't that eight? Something like that. Anyways, he wants a lot. Okay, let's go to verse two. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would call this hangry. How many of you have ever been on a fast without food for more than three days? Okay, I'm gonna tell you, I just get a little agitated. It, I just get hangry. I get absolutely hangry. And that is a mix between hungry and angry. Now, Jesus was angry and said not, not in this scripture, but I'm just telling you, he was very hungry, okay? And it said, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, the devil is trying to tempt Jesus with the lust of his flesh. His flesh wants those rocks to be bread. He's hungry, right? So it is the lust of the flesh. I want you to just take a moment and look at your life and say, where is the lust of the flesh in me? We all have it. We all have it. You're not bad because you have the lust of flesh. We're learning to deal with our lust of the flesh and not give in to that flesh. So we all have a piece. It could be that you overeat when there's carrot cake. It could be that you overspend at Easter time because all the kids have to have a new outfit with a new bonnet and they all have to match, but you really don't have the money. So you put it on a credit card in order to get what you want. It could be that you lie at work because you want people to think more highly of yourself than you really are. It might be that you manipulate situations because you're fearful of the outcome if you don't have control. All of these are small sins that unattended to will bring forth a larger problem in your life. And some of these problems live for 18 years and you carry them. And even at 18 years, though they've left your home, you still carry the responsibility of a seed that you conceived. Is that not true? 
So there are seeds in our life that we will birth, that we will eat the fruit of for a very long time if we don't deal with them and cut them off. So it says he was hungry. Now, if, let's just be honest with you. If Jesus wanted to do this, literally he could have, but he couldn't, or it wouldn't have been a temptation. You understand what I'm saying? It must have been probable for God to have used his infinite self, not his human self, but his infinite self and say, well, I'm gonna make that into bread or it wouldn't have been a temptation. He would have said, well, I can't do that. I'm a human right now. He didn't, he was God. Remember, fully God, fully human when he came. So he could have. But what was crazy is that not only was he testing his flesh, but he was questioning who he was. If thou be the son of God, I can just see him in his pious way. Just smart, cocky, arrogant. That's who I see the devil as. Looking at Jesus in this weakened state. Let's keep in mind, the devil didn't come on the first day he was there. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. He probably didn't come on the second day. He would have at least had to wait for three days for me. For Jesus, maybe it was the 30th day, I'm just saying. It was much more stronger. But remember that in your own life, that the enemy doesn't often come when you're on the top of your game. He comes when you become weak in your flesh, or it wouldn't have been a temptation for the lust of the flesh to step up and take it. So it had to be the temptation. So he's asking, who are you? He's questioning his identity. Because if he can get Jesus to question his identity and doubt that he is the son of God, he's done one. We don't have to turn no stone into bread. We just don't have to go to the cross. If I can get him to doubt who he is, then there'll be no cross and I win. That was the ultimate goal. So let's go to verse four. It says, it is written, this is Jesus speaking. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want you to notice something. Jesus doesn't sing worship music right here. He doesn't turn on the TV to distract himself. He don't put in his earbuds. Na, 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 na. I'm not listening, devil. Na, 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 na. This is not how we resist the devil. Jesus used the word of God. This is why your pastors teach you about prayer, fasting, and the word. This is why we suggest for you to start your day with the Bible and read it and to learn it and to let it be written upon your heart so that you don't have to go thumbing through pages, but when the temptation comes, you're immediately ready and you can just kick the devil in the teeth, right? But look what Jesus does. He's reading the scripture, Deuteronomy 8, 3. Now remember, we know that the word tells us that at age 12, Jesus was in the temple learning, learning, and that they were amazed at things he was saying already at age 12. So the Old Testament was written on these scrolls and priests would write down these scrolls and copy them and pass them out to temple over temple over temple. So the further the kingdom moved, there'd be another place, a synagogue, where they would study the word and another scroll would be written, handwritten with ink. You know, the old feather pen, 
like, like that. Thank God they weren't chiseling them out in rocks, but they actually were using paper and ink. So what would happen is Jesus was learning off of these scrolls that were in the synagogue, which was the Old Testament. He was reading stories about Moses, about Samuel, about the prophets. He was reading the scriptures, so he knew it. So I'm going to read to you Deuteronomy 8.3. It says, he humbled you causing you, he's talking about the Israelites that are in the wilderness. It says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna from heaven. Remember God rained down manna from heaven, which neither you nor your ancestors had no. You've never seen manna rain down from heaven to teach you that man does not just live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus didn't say, I want to tell you, devil, in Deuteronomy 8.3, it says. He didn't even quote the whole scripture. He simply quoted a line from the word. He didn't have to tell him where it was. He said, devil, it's written. Man's not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I know that because I read it in the scripture that when the Israelites were walking in the wilderness, they knew not what they would do for food. He said, I'll take care of you and I'll provide for you. And when they got hungry, what did he do? He dropped bread from heaven. It wasn't the bread that they were after. It was the word of the Lord being proven to the Israelites that I will be faithful to you today, tomorrow, and the next day. And then it was the cloud by day, right? and the fire by night because he was providing, but it was God's word to the Israelites that he stood upon and said, this is my word. So Jesus was reminding the devil, no, 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 it's God's word that I live by. And if God said it, I can count on it. I can cash it. I can take it to the bank and I can trust in it. We too must do this with the word when we are being tempted. Jesus resisted his own desire, his own thought for food. You get that? He took the thought captive. He grabbed it and he pulled it down it says, take the word captive and pull every vain imagination down. That vain imagination means anything that exalts itself against the word of God. When you have a thought that goes against the word of God, that is vain, that is self-promoting, that is a selfish thought, you are meant to pull that thought down and to replace it with a higher thought. And that is God's thought. And when you do that, now the vain imagination that you had will be gone and the word will reside in your heart. Now, for some of us, this may take 38 times a day. But I will tell you this, the more you do it, the better you'll get and the less you'll have to do it. The devil doesn't come after strong. He comes after when you're weak. So he's trying to get you when your faith is low, when you've taken a couple blows at work this week, your kids maybe aren't walking in the way they should and they've just fell off the face of the earth and you're like, help me, Jesus, what are we gonna do? He tries to come when things are already starting to snowball. That's when he comes and attacks you. So let's go back to the scripture. Matthew 4, 5, it says, then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple 
If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil is, listen, David, how old are you? You're 66. You've been on this earth for 66 years. Do you know how old the devil is? Over 2,000 years old. He doesn't have power unless you give it to him. But he is so much more patient and wiser at this game than you and I without the word of God. When you and I know the word of God, we become equal to Jesus who defeated the devil, Christ in us. Even if I don't know, when I am weak in him, I find my strength. I have victory because Jesus had victory over the devil at the cross. So you and I have to walk like that victory is ours. But if we don't fight the game right, you're not gonna win. So we have to fight like Jesus taught us to fight. And it was the word of God that he used. So listen to what he says. The devil twisted it and said, okay, well, if he's going to use the word of God, I'm going to use it back on him. Do you see? He's deceitful. There's nothing new to him. He takes good things and perverts them. He can't think of anything new. He only takes what God meant for good and perverts it to you and I. He takes the scripture and twists it and lies to you and I about it. And every step of the way, he questions your identity. Are you sure you're a son of God? Are you sure you're a son and daughter? Oh, remember that lie you told a month ago? No, he hasn't forgiven you for that. Do you see? Even though you know that you lied and you ask God to forgive you and it's under the blood and it's been erased, but all he's doing is reminding you of what you did. We have to get about our business and remind him of what Jesus did. Quit letting him keep you in the same cycle of what you did and remind him what Jesus did for you. So he, literally, again, he is challenging Jesus's identity. He's trying to get him to doubt who he is, but this time he doesn't come with the lust of the flesh because he sees he can't get him. He tried. Jesus resisted with the word of God and the devil didn't try that one again. So now he comes with the pride of life. He's saying, oh, if I can just get him to throw himself down, throw himself down and test. Let's test how really the son of God you are, right? The pride, well, I'll show you who I am. I'm the son of God. Watch this. And then try to get the angels to catch him. No, look what Jesus says. He says in verse seven, it is also written, uses the word right back at him. Do not put the Lord God to the test. It was like Jesus went boom, dropped the mic and left the rock. He's like, I'm gonna walk away from this one. Huh? Take the word back. So this is what it is. I look it up, Deuteronomy 6, 16. Let's go there. This is what Jesus says to him. He says in the scripture, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Massa, I'm not sure which one that is, but it's literally a line. He didn't even finish the whole line. Don't put your, God your Lord God to the test. No, that's wrong. 
and the devil left. Look what he says here. Verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you just bow down and worship me. What could it hurt? What could it hurt? Look at all this. All this could be yours. It was like the price is right. And all this could be yours for the price is right. The enemy was getting him to look out and see what he could have. It was the lust of the eyes. And really what the devil was after was an allegiance. An allegiance with Jesus so that he could alter the plan of God for you and I. See, it wasn't just about Jesus. It was about you and me. Your sin is not just about you. It's about all of us. Remember, for one man's sin, we all became unrighteous. But because of one man's obedience, which was Jesus, we became made righteous. So to say that Adam's sin didn't affect us, it did. Last time I checked, I was born a sinner, right? I was born into a world of sin because the world is the devil's playground. This is already his kingdom. He was showing the Lord or Jesus what could be his. Pathetic. Anyways, he was trying to show him an easier way to get to his purpose because he's Lord of us right now. He's the king, right? He would make him the king and the ruler of this earth. It was the lust of the eyes. But Jesus in verse 10 says, away from me, Satan. Notice he didn't say away from me, God. So we know that the tempter yet again was not God. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels attended to him. Now, keep in mind, Jesus did not eat nor drink for 40 days. And the angels attended to him like in the Bible where they attended to Elijah and they helped him when he was hungry, when he was broken down, when he was thirsty and they ministered to him. It's the same concept here. So I don't know that you and I are gonna get angels to bring us food and water when we're done with the temptation. However, I wanna remind you that other versions of the Bible, not the NIV, but the King James says that he left him for a season. And I'm here to remind you that just because you resist and you, the temptation goes away, do not think that he's not coming back. He's coming back and you must prepare yourself for the battle. If he's not at your door, this is when... You're sucking it in and writing it as quick as you can on your heart, memorizing, purposing your heart towards the scriptures that you're gonna need to fight the temptation based on lust of the flesh maybe for you. Maybe it's lust of the eyes. Maybe it's the pride of life. I think sometimes asking each one of ourselves, what is the source or the root of this sin that I keep struggling with is important. Knowing do you care what people are thinking of you? Then you have the pride of life. 
Do you smoke and drink because it makes you appear cool? That's the pride of life. If it's the lust of your flesh and you're giving in to sinful natures, debauchery, pornography, um, drugs, whatever those things are, and you're giving, because your flesh is driving you to that, simple, you have a flesh problem. Fasting is definitely in your future. <laughs> it's the way you, you push down that flesh. So knowing what source it is, is key. But Jesus was quoting to him, Deuteronomy 6.13, let's go back to Deuteronomy. It's amazing that Jesus must have really loved the book of Deuteronomy or maybe that was the book he had memorized at that moment. I don't know. 6.13, it says, fear the Lord your God, serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods or the gods of the people around you. And that was 13 and 14. But look what Jesus said. He said, literally, fear the Lord your God, serve him only. That's it. Just no, no, get out of here for it's written. I'm going to worship the Lord, my God, and I'm only going to serve him. I'm not bound down to you. That's it. And he was gone. This is why the scripture tells us that you and I are to renew our mind daily so that the thoughts that you and I have that are of ourselves, that are of our own soul and our own will of the devil of people around us that aren't Christians? Do you realize how much time you spend around secular thoughts and people who don't think like God and they talk and they give their opinions, you sit at lunch with them, maybe you have family members that you eat dinner with, you spend time with them, you love them. There's nothing wrong with being around non-Christians. The problem is, is that if that non-Christian lifestyle begins to infiltrate us and cause us to be tempted, we must be about the due diligence of the Bible, of fasting and prayer and the word, renewing our minds and constantly staying in a state that we understand what God's will is for our life so we don't miss the mark. That's the whole point. God's way of thinking is so much better than anything you could ever look at. Temptation is simply just pressure to give in to the influences that lead us away from our target. And they lead us into sin. James 4, 7, I use this on Sunday, tells us that we are to submit ourselves before God, but it says resist the devil and he will flee. Let's talk about resistance because, and we know this, he doesn't leave for good. He leaves for a season, right? But I will tell you this. How many of you have watched the movie Monsters, Inc.? Okay, okay it's, it's an old, older movie. But the bottom line was there were these monsters that had all these doorways and they would go into little children's bedrooms and they were really, some were scary. It's supposed to be scary monsters. They were kind of corny, but anyways, they were kind of funny. And they would open the, the bedroom door to these kids' rooms and the kid would scream and they would fill these tanks with fear. Okay. But the problem was, is they would mark down these doors that were really good. The devil's kind of like this. He comes into your mind, and when he gets a really good, sinful tank full 
<laughs> He's like, yeah, I got that one to take it. He comes back again and again and again. You've ever heard the path of least resistance is the one that's taken. Trust me, if you're not resisting the devil, he's coming again and again and again and again and again. And those blows get faster and faster and faster and faster. And he just keeps building up tanks of sin, building them up, getting you further and further and further and further and further and further and further from the place of God that you finally you will just throw up your hands and say, I'm just unredeemable. And you'll walk away and never look back. That's his goal for our life. But on Monsters, Inc., they would go to these rooms and as the kids got bigger, they got less scared. So like, oh, duh, whatever. They just sleep right through the scare. And they're like, oh, don't go back to door number 1376. It ain't no good. They're growing up. As you mature in the Christian faith, as you begin putting more and more word in you and you begin putting up a path of resistance to the enemy, he stops coming around as much. He's not coming every day. He's not coming every week. He's not coming every month. And you're staying strong. And you're staying filled up with the Lord, filled up on his Holy Spirit. So guess what happens? Lord, lead us not into temptation. Guess what that means? I'm going to show it to you before it comes your way. You're going to have a dream one night and you're going to know that temptation's coming. And you're going to go, I'm going to write that down because it's coming. And when it comes, I'm going to be ready for you this time. And then it just, this is the way I look at it as I'm an adult. I walk out of a hotel, I walk out of my house and there's this big overhang and this car pulls up. My car is red. It's a hot red Mustang. It really is. And it can go fast. But I know that that car is sin. And I know what it looks like. And the devil just drives up. Hey, hey girl, get in today. Let's go for a ride. I'm like, nope. Know what you look like. I'm not getting in that car. Last time I got in the car, it took me way too far and it was so fast I couldn't jump out. Nope, nope, nope. Not getting in that car again. And sometimes he'll change it up. Sometimes it'll have a convertible top. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes it's a little slower. He's like, oh, just ease on. We're gonna go for a joy ride today. Come on, just get in. No. No, you got to know what sin looks like in your life and you got to be able to resist the temptation and be able to identify how he's coming to you. Those of you that are married, you've got a best friend in your spouse. Your spouse, chances are, knows your weakness, if not as much as you do, but greater than you do. Ask them what your sin looks like. When do you give in? What's the pattern? Why does it show itself like this? What season does it show itself? Oh, there is a pattern. You watch. It's there. See, we learned that on Sunday, Jesus told his disciples to watch, be alert, and pray that you won't enter into temptation. Praying is a very vital part to not entering into temptation. It says when you resist, have, how many of you have seen, uh, ever done physical therapy with resistant bands? Anybody? Okay, there's, there's a couple. Okay, so Quentin used to play baseball. And when he would, when he was younger, he would pitch and throw and his elbow would really hurt. 
And so he had to go to physical therapy for his elbow because it was swelling, it was all red, it was ridiculous. Well, what they found out was it wasn't his elbow, it was the muscles in his shoulder were not strong enough to support. And so when he would go back to throw it, he didn't have enough strength, so he would swing his arm out to let his elbow push it the rest of the way because he was maturing in his muscles. So guess what they did? They gave us red, yellow, green, blue bands. And they sent us home. And you tie them on your door, shut your door, and all Quentin had to do was grab this rubber band, very large rubber band, and go like this every day. Isolate the elbow and let the shoulder do the work. Every day. Just like this. Three times a day. After he did this for a week of resistance on the blue band or red, I don't know what color they come in. I'm not sure. The blue band. The next week he got to move to the next color band. But this band was thicker and it was wider. So the resistance got harder for Quentin. So it worked the muscle harder. But at the end of all four bands, that boy picked up almost 10 mile an hour in pitching and four about 14 to 15 more pitches per game. Because resistance equals strength. When you resist the devil for a little bit, every single time, and you might fail, and you might have to repent, and you might have to go back to the scripture, and you start out again, and he starts with the same pressure. Oh, it's just one look. Come on, go back to that website. Let me show you what it really looks like. Just one more time. You're like, devil, I am not doing it. You know what, honey, we need to change the password on the computer so I can't get into it. You hear me? You hear me? Best friends. Your wife, your husband is your best friend. They're your best advocate. You have them. And friends, if you are not married, I'm looking at some of you singles out there, you need an accountability friend. Get your sister, get your brother, get your mom, get your dad. If not, get your best friend and say, this is my struggle and I need help. And when you see this pattern, this is what I'm doing. And you need to look at me and say, get yourself up out of that sin. I'm gonna come beat you out of it. I'm gonna help you. And that's what you do one for another. But resistance, and the more you begin to do that, you get a transition from the blue band to the red band. And from the red band to the yellow band. And then you're on the green band and you're like, Wah! and when you're on the green band, guess what I'm gonna do? You're gonna be a physical therapist and you're gonna start helping others who need help in the blue band and you gotta go back and help them fight and resist temptation too. Because that's how it works, you see? Resistance, resistance. Let's go to Matthew 12, 43 and 45. And believe it or not, this was dad's alt pastor's ultimate goal for the church to learn. And it's taken me two weeks to get there. I'm sorry. But I felt you needed a foundation of sin before we could just jump to it. So in Matthew, the 12th chapter, in the 43rd verse... It says, I'm going to read this one from the New Living Translation. Guys, can you change that for me? Thank you. It says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. 
And so that person is worse off than before. That will be an experience, the experience of the evil of this evil generation. Now, I want to read this to you because this scripture, I don't believe is talking about a born again believer. I don't believe that demonic spirits can inhabit you and I. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, but I do believe that evil spirits oppress and will surround Christians and cause depression, oppression around them and cause things to begin to happen in their life. Here's what happens. When you and I are in sin, there, we open ourselves up to a multitude of things. In fact, in John, uh, no, 2 John 2, let me look back here, wait a minute, let me get my paper. I was going to pass it, but I think I need it. 2 Peter 2.20, this is what it says, and I'm going to read it because I think it lays the foundation for where we're headed. It says, if they have escaped the corruption of this world, knowing the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it, and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were in the beginning. So if you and I come into the position with Christ, we've been forgiven, and then we get entangled into the sin that so easily besets us. It holds us down, it drags us, and we begin to live with this mess of sin in our lives, then we get entangled back up with it and we are worse off. Then when we go to Matthew, the 12th chapter, and it talks about that he, if we repent, let's say that there is an oppression of sin in our life or a devil who continues to haunt and taunt. Now keep in mind, demons are nothing more than the devil's little demons that fell from heaven with him. Remember, when devil fell from heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. I don't believe that when you die, spirits wander around and all that. That's just malarkey. It's not true. It's people misreading the word and interpreting it incorrectly. That's not true. If that was the case, we would be fighting a whole lot more than we aren't. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That means the spirit has a place to go and that's where it's going. It's not wandering the earth, okay? These are demonic powers that they're talking about here. And it's spiritual demons that have inhabited a man that was not saved. But when we start dabbling in sin, we have the oppressor and he brings sin around. And when we give into it now, there's an association of that oppression around us. And there's a demonic power who's tempting you and causing you to do what you do on a regular basis. A regular basis. And it gets more frequent, more frequent until it drives you to insanity, destroys your marriage, destroys your children, whatever it is. When you repent and turn from that sin and it's removed... You are like a house that has been swept because you took the dirty out. You removed the sin from your house. But then later, remember what I said, the devil leaves you for a season. But then when he can't find anyone else to torment as good as he tormented you and no one to give in to sin and keep filling all those sin tanks like you did, he's like, man, that's a good sinner. I'm going right back over there. He comes back to your house to see if you've done anything different. If your behavior hasn't changed, 
If your attitude hasn't changed, if your ability to understand scripture and fight the enemy with the written word hasn't changed, if you haven't filled your life with the Holy Spirit and the gifts thereof that he brings, that house is empty. He's coming right back, but he's not coming back by himself. He's gone out to get seven more worse than he is. You know what that tells me? There are levels of devils. He went to get the worst ones that he had before. So now you've got seven new ones that were worse than the one. You got eight oppressing spirits around you. That's the doctrine of worsening. And that's not what you and I want to do. Amen? Three types of sin in 1 John 2, 15 and 16. And we're going to wrap up. Right here, 1 John, and I'm reading this to you because it's important. It says, do not love the world or anything in this world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will all pass away but whoever does the will meets the mark, doesn't sin. Remember, God's will is the center of our target. We'll live forever. That's you and I. Corinthians tells us that you and I, there is no temptation that you do not know, that we've not already seen, that you cannot overcome. God guarantees you you will not receive more than you can handle. When you are tempted, you can resist. You can, you can, you can, but will you? And he says in every situation, there is a way of escape if you'll just look. Just look. God loves us. He cares about us. And he doesn't want us to fall into sin that will create it worse. He wants us to repent, turn from our way, learn what his way looks like, write it upon our heart that we can never forget it so we can walk in his way and win this war against the devil. Amen? Stand to your feet. That's gonna conclude our Wednesday night and we are right on time for small groups tonight. They should be getting out in just a minute. They're not out yet. Father, we just thank you for the word of God that's come forth tonight. And Lord, I just speak, God, to our lives this week. And Lord, that you would reveal things to us in the, in the place that they are. Father, reveal the origin to us. Just like Jesus was tempted in these three areas, we too, we too, we are Christ-like. And we are being tempted with some of the same things. God, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. God, I ask you that you would reveal these things to us, God, and lead us to scripture. Lead us to scripture, Father, that we could resist the devil, God, so that he would flee. Lord, I ask that you put us with relationships that would help us, God, relationships that would fight for us, that would help us, God, and equip us, Father, as brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I thank you that we would not be ashamed of what we're dealing with, but God, that we would count it good to tell our brother or our sister what we're dealing with, Father, that we could get help. 
Father, that we could get help. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you reveal those things to us, God, that we could resist the devil so that he would flee. Father, for we do not desire that the enemy come back. Father, for we want to fill our temple with the spirit, that it would be furnished with love, peace, joy, thanksgiving, praise. And when he comes back to my house, he looks and says, nope, there ain't no room for me there and keeps on going. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I will see you guys Sunday.